Well, Happy New Year, everyone. I know, uh, I know many were looking forward to uh, 2021, probably for the sole reason that it's not 2020 anymore. But uh, got up New Year's Day and opened the blinds and saw the freezing rain coming down and the ice accumulating and <laughs> was really hoping that's not an omen. <laughs> so so uh, I guess we'll find out. But uh, I, I heard, um, recently I heard a, a uh, story that I just wanted to share with you, a pretty incredible story, you know, in, in light of all of the hard stories that we've heard from this past year, I thought it'd be good to start with an awesome story about, about God's activity in the nation of Iran. And so uh, I heard this story uh, recently. Uh, there was a Christian man in Iran who who was going around to rural villages, and he came to this one village and and was told there by by the townspeople that that there was this certain individual in the village that he really needed to talk to, and so. Uh, this Christian ended up meeting with uh, an older gentleman who shared with him something that he had experienced recently. And so this older uh, gentleman was previously a Muslim, and he shared with uh, this Christian man how a man in white had appeared to him one night. And this man in white said all kinds of things and, and told this older Muslim gentleman to write down everything that he was saying. And so he did. He wrote down what this man in white told him that night. And then the next night it happened again. This man in white appeared, said a bunch of things, and told this man to write the things down. And then it happened the next night and the next night, and it went on that way for 30 nights. Every night, this man in white appeared and told this individual to write down the things that he was saying. Well, the Christian who was hearing this story was very intrigued by it and asked this older gentleman if he still had everything that he had written down from this man in white. So the older gentleman got up and he went and got this notebook. And the Christian opened the notebook to the first page and began reading what was written. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if that sounds familiar, it's because that is John chapter 1, verse 1. And the Christian proceeded to thumb through the rest of the notebook and found that this formerly Muslim gentleman had transcribed the entire Gospel of John from this man in white that appeared to him for 30 nights and just spoke. I mean, that is incredible. <laughs> That is truly incredible. I mean, suffice it to say, uh, he's a formerly Muslim man because this individual now is a believer in Jesus Christ. Our incredible God broke into this man's life and supernaturally imparted to him his life-giving word. I mean, I mean, these are the kinds of stories that can seem fictional, but uh, it is very much a real-life event that happened in a real village in Iran to a real man. And so it's incredible, I think, to, to hear, and that's just one story, I'm sure, out of the many and many that could be told across our world. And I think there's so much that we can take from a story like that. And what I want to suggest to us this morning is that your story, my story, they're not all that different 
from the one that I just shared with you. Now, sure, you and I probably haven't had a man in white come to us every night for a month and speak God's word to us, and we write it down in a notebook. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't broken into our lives with his word of truth. Doesn't mean that we can contribute our, or can attribute our new life in Jesus to anything other than his work within us. I'd encourage you to turn with me this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 1. And I think, I think James would, would agree with me regarding the supernatural work of God's word in our lives. In James chapter 1, when you look at verse 1 and you see the, the greeting, the heading of the letter, uh, we see that it's written by James, and, and some would say that this is the half-brother of Jesus, that James. But it's written to the Jewish Christians who are scattered around the Roman world. And, and skip down a little bit. Look with me at verse 18. James chapter 1, verse 18, to see what James reminds these believers of. He says, Of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So James is reminding these Jewish Christians that they are who they are because of God's own will. They are who they are because of the word of truth that God has given to them. And, and through that word of truth has, has transformed them. He says that, that uh, they have been brought forth by the word of truth. In a sense, God gave birth to them through this word of truth. They are born again believers by way of God's truth in them. And in the reality for these Jewish Christians in the first century AD is no different than our reality today as believers. We are who we are because God has given us new life, brought forth or, or birthed out of his word of truth. Now, we may not always think of our own conversion experience as something supernatural in nature, but it is. It truly is. God has supernaturally imparted his word of truth into our life in such a way that, that we're transformed. We're transformed, and, and the Bible gives us all sorts of descriptions. Uh, we're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Uh, we've gone from darkness to life. We've been set free from sin and death, and we're, we are given righteousness and life in return. What God has done in our life through his word of truth is incredible. It's no less incredible, really, than, than the story about the formerly Muslim man in Iran. That's maybe a more unusual story, but they are both incredible nonetheless. But back to, back to that story from Iran for just a moment. Can you imagine how he must have felt about that notebook, which contained the words from this man in white? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine how precious that notebook will probably be for the rest of that man's life? Can you imagine once he received those words, how diligently he probably poured over them and, and opened himself 
to what he was reading. You know, I, I kind of wonder if in comparison, we can maybe sometimes have a, a cavalier or, or ho-hum attitude, you know, regarding the entire revelation of God's word that we have so easily accessible to us. You know, do, 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 I, do I interact with these words of God as if they were supernaturally given to me, that I might have new life through Jesus. You know, I, and maybe, maybe while we can initially receive God's word of truth with great joy and excitement, I think sometimes we can, we can fade into feeling like the, those words are more, more of a burden or, or they're confusing or maybe they're even offensive at times. And I, and I, think, I think that tendency existed in the first century with, with these Jewish believers to whom James wrote this letter. And I say this because James went on to challenge them in regard to their attitude towards this word of truth. So, so follow along with me in verse 19. So this comes immediately after what we just read. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, I've lost count of the number of times I've read those verses in my life, especially verse 19 quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But I do know that, that every time I've read those verses, I've always applied them to my interpersonal relationships. I've heard James saying that in my interactions with others, I ought to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And, and we should make no mistake, there is indeed biblical support for that understanding. Just in Proverbs alone, there's all kinds of statements. Proverbs chapter 10 says that when, when words are many, transgressions are not lacking. Proverbs 11 says that a man of understanding remains silent. Uh, chapter 15 says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Chapter 17 says even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. So, so when we look at the entire council of Scripture, there is ample support for, for that admonition to be careful what we say to others and how we say it. James himself is going to go on in chapter 3 and talk about taming the tongue. So we see this all over the place in Scripture. But it hit me for the first time a few weeks ago that I don't think that was James's primary intention in writing these words. I don't think he's primarily talking about interpersonal relationships. I, I think what he's doing is he's using widely agreed upon wisdom in that area, but he wants us to examine another relationship, a, our relationship with God, and, and more specifically than that, our relationship with God by way of his words. Remember, James has just talked in verse 18 about how the believers have been brought forth by the word of truth. And then in verse 21, uh, James highlights the importance of receiving 
the word with meekness. And then right after that, in verse 22, he continues by talking about being doers of the word, not just hearers. So, so this, these statements about being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, they are enveloped in statements about God's word. And so the context there you know, leads me to say that I think these admonitions from James are, are causing us to, should cause us to, to understand, to think differently about how we are receiving, how we are, are responding to God's words. So when it comes to God's words, we ought to be quick to hear. When it comes to God's words, we ought to be slow to speak. When it comes to God's words, we ought to be slow to anger. And I want to take some time and walk through each one of those three one at a time this morning. But before we do that, I, we really need to set the, set the historical context for James's words. Because when we think about our own interactions with, with God's word today, we probably think about primarily two scenarios. And the first one is, is probably reading the Bible. When we talk about interacting with God's word, we read it. We read the Bible. This book is the word of God. God has inspired the writers of all 66 of the books in the Bible. The words that we read on these pages are the words of God. So we interact in that way. The second way is, is what we're doing right now. You know, churches, pastors that are carrying out their God-given purpose ought to be focused upon rightly proclaiming and submitting themselves to God's word. And so as a result, sermons uh, uh, preached by the pastors of those churches ought to come directly from God's word. They ought to be consistent with the truth of God's word. Th th those are primarily the interactions that we have with God's words of truth. But we cannot project that exact context onto these first century Jewish Christians. For starters, most scholars would agree that James's letter here is one of the first New Testament books written, if not the very first. Many would argue this is the very first New Testament book to be written down. So as a result, the believers at that time, they were not sitting in their homes, they were not gathering together as a church to read the words of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. Those hadn't been written yet. They're not gathering together. They're not studying the theological truths stated by Paul in his letters because those letters hadn't been written yet. Now, they did potentially have access to the Old Testament scriptures at their local synagogue. It's not guaranteed, but, but there's, a, there's a good probability that they had those. So their interactions with, with God's words would have primarily been through either local teachers or traveling teachers who were speaking to them. Teachers that either deeply studied the Old Testament text or they were eyewitnesses to Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus. Or perhaps they, were, they had spoken directly to an eyewitness of Jesus, who had heard the words of Jesus, who had seen Jesus live and the miracles that he had done, and they had gone around proclaiming those to the churches. So, so their interaction with God's words would have been primarily in that way. They would have been audibly spoken words. 
audibly spoken words in that context of the gathered church body. And then along those lines, we also have to get rid of this picture like what we're doing right now with a sermon. Because a teacher at that time would not have gotten up and talked for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes while everyone sat silently and listened until he was done. That, that, that's not how they did it. Evidence points to the fact that these gatherings were much more back and forth. That they were more of a conversation than a, than a formal, uninterrupted teaching. It's a big reason why Paul talked about orderly worship in his letter to the Corinthian church. So all that being said, that, that, that's the picture that we ought to have in mind when we think about this letter from James being read to the church body. It's perhaps the first, what would later be canonized, inspired word of God that was read in their midst. Primarily, they interacted with God's words in an audible way as people were proclaiming them to them. So, so now that we have that in mind, let, let's go through these, these three admonitions one at a time. So quick to hear. Our attitude towards God's words ought to be an attitude of hearing or, or listening. Uh, and what James means is, is so much more than just this, the physical act of sound waves entering our ear and, and, and registering something in our brains. We've all been there before, right? Where we're, we're somebody's talking to us, we hear their voice, we know they're, they're forming words and sentences, but, but as soon as they're done, we could not reply back to them based upon what they said. We're hearing words, but we're not listening to them. That wives, don't elbow your husbands right now. This isn't the time or the place for that. We've all been there. We've all been there and had that happen. That's not the listening or the hearing that James is talking about. In, in urging the believers to be quick to hear, it, James means that they ought to not only take in the words, receive the words, but, but reflect upon them, seek understanding about those words. Yeah, if you think about Jesus, one of his more common sayings in the Gospels is, he who has ears, let him hear. It's one of the most quoted or most repeated things that that Jesus says. And he's not calling people to be quiet so that his voice can project better. You know, he's not, not a, a first grade teacher trying to get the attention of his students by using like the same phrase every time. He's calling them to consider his words and to seek understanding. So when God's words were taught among the early churches, the believers needed to be ready to take in those words, ponder their meaning, their, their, their first attitude needed to be a quickness to hear. And, and again, our, our historical setting is different today, but our first attitude ought to be exactly the same, quick to hear. We're blessed to have the printed words of God so easily accessible to us. And, and so when I'm reading those words, am I, am I truly and, and consistently listening to what God is saying? Am I, am I reading solely to cross something off my to-do list? Am I, am I just reading in the Bible so I can move the bookmark farther along in the text? Or am I reading and hearing? Am I reading and listening to the words? When we think about conversations with other people, there's a number of things that we can do to foster listening. 
we can make eye contact, right? That, that's one of the, the things. We can, can put our cell phone in our pocket. That's one of the things nowadays. You know, we can repeat back to them what we're hearing them say. We can, we can ask questions when we don't understand. There, there's lots of things that we do that are maybe second nature to us that help foster listening in the midst of a conversation. When it comes to God's words, I, I don't think it's much different. I think that many of those same things we can do to foster listening as we converse with God through his written word. We can, we can remove distractions, right? Put the cell phone away, you know, go some, you know, set up a, an atmosphere that's conducive to listening. You know, we can make sure we're not rushed by things on the calendar. We can write out what we understand God to be saying. Um, that's why journaling can, can uh, be such a good tool for listening. Uh, can dialogue with others regarding what we understand God to be saying. You know, when we interact with God's words, we ought to strive first and foremost to hear what he's saying. That has to be the first attitude, quick to hear. But then the second one goes, goes hand in hand with that, slow to speak. We ought to allow the words that enters our ears and enters our minds to have time to simmer, right? We ought, we ought to allow ample time for reflection, before speaking, before responding to them. And again, let, let's put ourselves into the, the context of those first century Christians. A, a traveling teacher may have come to town and taught something in the church gathering that was new to them. Perhaps a teacher came to town that had a conversation with, with John the disciple, and John told him something that, that Jesus taught, and then that teacher went and told it to the church, and the church had never heard that before, and it was a new thing to them. Well, again, in that context, engagement, conversation, that, that was the normal thing, but rather than reply instantly to something that was said, James encouraged a slowness to speak. Maybe a traveling teacher came to town that was teaching something that's very different than everything else they had heard about who God was. And again, a slowness to speak, right? Allowing time to reflect and to process the things that are said. And, and, and back to our own context, when I read God's words, do I take the time to dwell upon them, pray upon what I've heard, or, or, or do I just quickly and strongly push back with my own previously held interpretation about what it means? When we come to God's words, we all come with a preconceived idea of how things work. I'm not saying that's an evil thing. I'm just saying that's the reality. That's the reality of things. We can't get away from that. We just can't. But we can choose to either be quick or slow to speak in responding to God's words. Being quick to speak usually entails trying to form God's words into my understanding of reality and how I think things ought to be. Whereas being slow to speak would, would be uh, in, uh, allowing God's words to form us based upon God's understanding of reality, how he desires things to be. There's a big difference there, reading the text and making it fit or say what I want it to say reading the text and letting it speak and letting it mold and letting it form. The second attitude is really one of, of, of patience and humility both. Um, it's an openness to allowing God's words to shape and mold us 
through our submission to them. So quick to hear, slow to speak, and then also James says we ought to be slow to anger. And, and I'll admit, this one tripped me up a little bit when, when it comes to my relationship with God's words. I mean, I can easily see how this applies to interpersonal relationships with others. But with God's words, uh, it, was, it was a little bit slower in, uh, in coming. And as, as I was reflecting and, and, and praying about this phrase, there, there really were two situations regarding anger and God's words that, that I, I think would have applied then and today. I think the first one is, I think there can be a, a temptation within us to be angry regarding what God is saying to us through his words. When we truly hear his words, when we dwell upon them, I, I think we'll find that God desires to do a work within us that might be uncomfortable, might even be painful. I, I mean, James's own letter is, I think, a great example of this. There, there's a fair amount of, of potentially anger-inducing statements that James makes. For example, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I could maybe bring up a little bit of anger. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I could see someone getting upset about that. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Faith apart from works is dead. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. This is just James. This is just the book of James. Uh, when God's words press on that spot in our lives that, that's kind of sensitive, anger can result, can it not? I mean, think about the last time you went to a medical doctor and there was part of you that hurt and they pushed the right way or, or bent you the right way or... And it hurt, right? <laughs> that spot that's, that's, that's not right, when they push on it, there's pain that can come from that. Pain that can make us angry, really. But rather than respond in anger, we can realize that the great physician seeks, as verse 21 says, to save our souls. When God puts his thumb on that spot or when God's words hit that spot, it's, it's to do something good within us, save our souls specifically. And so rather being quick to become angry over that discomfort, we can strive to receive and submit to God's words in our lives. So I think that's one situation where God's words and anger can intersect. And I think the second situation is, is uh, you know, I just kind of kept coming back to the way that some people can teach God's words, that there can be anger there. Many of us have maybe heard a, a pastor or a Bible teacher through the years who seems to be angry in the way that they preach and teach God's words. I, 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 even, I even was taken back to uh, a few years ago when we were going through the, the pastoral search process. There was one guy that when I listened to his sermons, I just it just... He seemed upset. It's almost as if he was yelling at the church body. And, and, and I think you can see this anger, not just in formal settings, but, but in informal settings as well. 
parents. I mean, when we are attempting to pass on God's words to our kids and we're encouraging them to submit to those words, do we find ourselves with some anger when, uh, when they don't respond as we desire them to? Or, 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 do you or I, do you and I ever have anger when we read something in the Bible and then, man, there's this person over here that I wish they would hear that, you know, I wish they would submit themselves. I mean, there can be anger that, that uh, comes up when we interact with God's words. His words being applied uh, or not being applied to broken situations can be a cause for anger. And so I think we ought to be careful in those situations. And as James says, be slow to anger. Verse 20, that anger is not going to produce the righteousness of God. It just won't. Getting angry at God's words, getting angry at other people, it, it's, it's not going to lead to transformation. James says it here. So as we close this morning, I think the key to all of this lies in verse 21. In, in the original uh, Greek, the emphasis of verse 21 is, is on the positive statement in the second half of the verse. The kind of the, the negative statement in the first half is meant to point to the positive in the second half. So, so that positive statement, the key I think to all of this is receive with meekness the implanted word receive with meekness the implanted word. And we don't usually use the word meekness, so, so humbly is another good way to say it. We ought to humbly receive the word, God's words. When, when our attitude is one of humility, I think we're going to find ourselves living out the things that James said in verse 19 specifically. In humility, I think we will be quick to hear what God is saying. In humility, I think we will be slow to speak. In humility, I think we'll be slow to, to anger regarding God's words. Uh, you know, my, my hope, my, my prayer uh, for 2021 is that it is a year in which God's words permeate our lives. But more than simply a year in which God's words are present in our lives, my, my prayer is that, that we'll humbly receive those words. Because remember what James says in verse 18. It's by God's word that he has brought us forth. He has supernaturally transformed us by the way of his word. And then in verse 21, we can't forget that it's, it's by God's words that he saves our souls. We're so incredibly blessed to have his words in the way that we do. And I think James gives us a wonderful reminder about how to respond in light of that blessing that we've been given. So would you stand with me? Let's, let's close our, uh, our time here and really commit to what God is uh, calling us to through James. Heavenly Father, we, we, we do recognize and we thank you for the, the blessing of, of having your written word in our midst, have it be so easily accessible, so affordable. We praise you for the, the generations of, of 
scholars and, and, and pastors and, and believers who have, who have poured over these words for so many years, who have gone on to teach and write, and, and we are blessed by the work that they've done. And we thank you for how your Holy Spirit has led so many people through the years, and we ask that you would continue to do that in our lives as we interact, as we converse with you through Scripture, would you help us to have this attitude that uh, James challenges us with? Help us to be quick to hear. We don't just want to read your words to say that we've done it or to feel good about ourselves. We want to really take it in. Help us to do that, God. Help us to be slow to speak. Anytime that we think we have things figured out, we think we know how things should work, slow us down. Open us to what you're saying, to, to how you are seeking to mold and to form us. And God, when it comes to anger too, give us that attitude of humility. When you press on those areas of, of pain and weakness in our lives, God, may we not respond in anger, but in humility. May we trust in your goodness and in your desire to do a great thing in us and through us and in how we respond to others as well. God, may we be humble. God, as we, as we embark on this new year, help us to pursue you in all things. I thank you in advance. God, I have faith that you will be working in us in this coming year. God, I'm excited to see what that will be, what it will look like. I'm ready to give you praise for it. So God, help us to walk in that. Work in us. Give us the humility that's needed. God, we ask this in your great name. Amen.